I, I'm sure some people are a little disturbed when they see headlines that say, oh, this bipartisan effort would look like a win for Biden. It's a win for Republicans, and it's a win for Biden, it's a win for Democrats, it's a win for the Senate to say we can work together, that we've been able to overcome partisan differences to do something that's right for America. Mr. President, I'm convinced that this is a win for America. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Very hard to say my name correctly. Like Brian. Yeah, Brian. What's your deal, man? Your midweek download destination. I like his style. It's a sort of casual elegance. I'm slaying lame and I'm exposing frauds. This is pathetic. This is embarrassing. Mic drop. Turn off the podcast. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't change for And note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody. It is August 18th, 2021, and it's... The return of the weekly dose. Not really. It's what I used to call the show years ago. This is a open, the second open I used when I would call the show the, the weekly dose with this uh, incredible song from Ryan Adams. Note to self, don't die. And I've just been going back through old audio, finding the old stuff I used to use a lot, and figured uh, for a week or two or three or four, I would just mix up the old opens as I still transition into what this show is going to be all about going forward. Not to this show. I'm still going to, hopefully, my plan long-term is always do this one show a week on Wednesdays. Your midweek download destination. Um, after doing a year of live radio four to five times a week, I've realized this is very easy to do, and so I, uh, I actually I find myself changing so quickly because so much so much stuff is going on, um, and that's that's how the radio world works. That's not how the podcast world works. So um, I've got a few things for you today, quite a few different things for you. As a matter of fact, I got a lot of audio already taking place in advance. So I have fun playing around with that. Uh, let's see. I'll have you two pieces of audio here at the tail end of the open. I'm going to call it the unfortunate thing. And then we'll do the TikTok thing. And then I pulled some other smaller clips of something I thought was fascinating to spend a few minutes on that means absolutely nothing that many of you might actually be bored by. I don't know. I liked it. And it's uh, light and fluffy and simple and easy and I believe fun. So we'll do that at the tail end of the open. In the second segment of the show, I'm going to talk about the uh, the fall of Cabal, right? Cabal, that's how we say it, right? The capital of Afghanistan. Not from a, here's what we did wrong, goddammit. Like, I let, listen to me yell. Like, I'm going to talk about it from a, how many people actually care about this? How much is fake outrage when it comes to something so serious as this? And I probably won't surprise you overall with where I'm coming from, but I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it, or I wouldn't do it if I didn't think so. And in the final segment of the show, speaking of throwing away fluff, um, storytelling time, my cousin from Los Angeles, came into town for about two and a half hours on Sunday. She is a television show writer in Southern California, more specifically Hollywood, quite almost literally, but in Los Angeles. And it was a, it was a great day. It was a fun day, and I am, um, my whole life, I have really borderline idolized her. That's probably a pretty strong word to use, but uh, of, of, of inspirational in my life, of anybody in my family or almost anybody I know. There's a, she's on a very, very short list 
of people that I really look up to and think, damn it, man, maybe you can do anything you put your mind to. Uh, but she came in town. We spent a couple hours, got as much of the family together as we could, and saw our representative Chuck Fleischman at the market this past weekend. And I'll have a little fun with that coming up here in the final segment of the show. A couple things here real quick. I'll bounce around here before I get to uh, the audio pieces for today's uh, podcast. This Saturday night, I'm not in the business of promoting uh, Cumulus Media Properties or Budweiser-sponsored events. Not really a big uh, fan of either of those two companies. Matter of fact, I pretty much hate them both. But Riverfront Nights is a pretty damn fun time. Real fun time. The Tennessee's uh, dead was the other week and was borderline life-saving for me. That's hyperbole to be sure, but it was a fantastic night. And no, I'm not buying your crappy beer, Budweiser. I'm going to bring my own drinks anyway. And I'm not going to promote the crappy radio stations from that uh, station. But I will admit to a good time when I see one and when I know one. And End of the Line is the name of this Almond Brothers band cover. They're going to be there this Saturday night. And uh, the 20, quick math, I think it's the 21st. 8 o'clock will be the start time. I don't know who the opener is. I don't really care. Probably somebody local. And I'm sure it's fine. But I did some research because you never know with some of these cover bands. Get some yahoos up there that don't know what the hell they're doing. This is the real freaking deal. They sound amazing. And they've had people like Marcus King sit in with them. They've had um, other members uh, because they're all my brother's band. Tentacles reach far and wide. They've had former members of the Almond Brothers band play with them before. It's almost kind of like Joe Russo's Almost Dead. They're, it, they're so well-known for how well they do it. It's not looked at as like a gimmick or laughed off as, oh, just another dumb cover band. I was very impressed. Cannot wait for Saturday night. Hopefully the weather cooperates. I'll be there rain or shine. There you go. Um, I would normally do a whole segment on this, but I just saw it earlier today, and there's not much to say really for a whole segment. I've already got this planned out. Emissions are finally gone. Jesus Christ, thank you, Lord. The emissions testing in Hamilton County, one of the biggest scams, one of the biggest cash grabs, the assholes in this state, and more specifically, this county, and two or three others, only two or three others, have been ripping off their constituents and their, their, their population for, what is it now, going on almost 20 years. They've, it's a tax on the poor, it is, it is a, a, an atrocity that this is, ever was a thing. Not just the nine bucks to get your car taken through the, through the damn thing. We all have cars, most of us anyway, that burn cleaner than ever. They're, we do not make dirty cars anymore. And if you have a car that's that screwed, it's because you're already screwed. And putting a, a, a basically a tax on the poor to go get, oftentimes, Repairs done on your car that are not necessary just to turn off a light. The inconvenience of it and the and the and the the detrimental that it could be to the the middle to lower middle class and the poor is atrocious. And anybody who supports this should be voted out forever ago. Nobody should ever be in office who pushes this kind of nonsense. And it's almost impossible to roll back federal uh, mandates and 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 money making opportunities for the the state or the city or the county or whoever's completely profiting on this once it's in place they never take it back well thanks in part and very much to the late mike carter uh, out from Ottawa from the legislature who who passed away from uh, pancreatic cancer here recently who started this many years ago 
and his wife is now taking over to finish his term out. And she has a long-winded, wonderful um, letter that she wrote after this had passed. EPA, EPA had to list some restrictions or something. I don't know. Insanely nice letter talking about her late husband and all this stuff. If you want to find it and read it, go right ahead. I thought about reading some of it, but there's no reason to. The best thing you need to know, the only thing you need to know right now, no more emissions testing starting January, I think it's 14th, whatever it is, first couple of weeks of January next year. Luckily, my tags are not up until March of next year, so I will never have to go to that godforsaken emission testing place ever again. Thank you very much. Um I-24, I-75 split. I'm going to spend an entire segment of this if I have to next week. I got to do a little more research and go take a look at it with my own eyes. But there is something that has happened with this major, insanely expensive, gorgeous-looking, almost completely finished interchange construction project. But if there's something I'm seeing is going to be the way it's going to be in the final product of this, it is borderline unforgivable. And I don't know yet because I haven't seen it with my own eyes yet. So that's a week out tease. I'll go take a look at it between now and next week. And if what I think is happening is happening, this is stupid. So hang on the edge of your seat for that one. Uh, I guess that's just about it for the open. Let's do some audio, shall we? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My friend, uh, Ron Hall. That's where I just put this one together a minute ago. I want to give out a shout to uh, Ron, who's worked in and out of media, mostly his uh, adult life here in Chattanooga. He's a PA address uh, or public address announcer for Lookout, uh, UTC uh, women's softball, many high school games, uh, t- high school teams over the years he's done PA work for. He's been, in, like I said, on radio here and there. And he does the Jump Into the Fire podcast. It's more of a video blog, but it is also as a podcast as well. Ron Hall, spelled exactly as it sounds. And um, if you want to check out his podcast. But he was giving a shout out to the, uh, the, the demise of Nougat Radio. And I want to just play a second of that if I would... If you don't mind, please. Sorry, here we go. This is Ron Hall jumping to the fire. Just about, I don't know, 45 seconds or so. It's hard to sell advertising when your two main people are spouting this bullshit that they spout day after day after day after day. And so we lose Jeff Styles, Jen, and Jason. And that's sad. You fire Brian Stone. Capelli is a raving lunatic. If you go back, Stone on Air podcast, he'll tell you how unhinged Capelli, a.k.a. Mike Steele, really is. And he did just a segment talking about uh, the stuff that I've talked about on here, so you're already familiar with that. Likely, if not, it's from the podcast two or three weeks ago. Thank you, Ron, for the the shout-out and the mention. And uh, I'm going to miss Jeff in the morning, too. Love Jeff Styles. Always have. Always will. All right. Now we'll get to today's audio. Speaking of radio and how much fun it used to be, and I guess there's a possibility it still can be. I don't know when or where that'll ever happen again in my future, but I was born 15 years too late. If I was 15 years older right now, if I was 56 instead of 41, I would have lived a very fun life. I would have lived in in multiple cities across the country. I would have worked at countless radio stations because I was good enough to do this stuff. So whenever I did get fired, I would get hired by somebody else. It's it's just a no doubter. I I, I guarantee you if I was 20 something in 1995, I'd have worked in 15 markets by the time I got to my age now. 
I would have moved all over the country. I'd have seen everything. I'd had, I'd had a, a hell of a life. Now, I might be broke as hell and a drug addict and, uh, and, and a just messed up individual, which a lot of those people ended up being because it is such an odd lifestyle, but it's always been something I've been fascinated by. But because I came into it as it was all crashing and burning and dying all around me, I'm walking in while the flames are being you know, fanned by, uh, by all the technologies in the world that killed the industry. If I was 15 years ahead of my time, I would have been 99X, baby. I'd have been 96 Rock. I would have been in every major market trying to bang down doors to get into radio stations all over the country. It would have been amazing. And I ran into this uh, thing on uh, TikTok, and this kind of this kind of uh, tells that story real quick from a listener, from a groupie type kind of uh, mindset. I don't know who this is. Or what she does on TikTok, but I heard I saw I saw this slash heard it and thought, damn it, man, I just missed it. This is today's unfortunate thing. I've been thinking about radio and how it was such a big deal when we were growing up compared to now. I grew up north of Atlanta and we had amazing radio stations, which I completely took for granted. But like 99X, if you're from the area, you know that station was amazing. I don't know if it was the same for y'all, but we kind of really worshiped the DJs. They were like the coolest of the cool. And calling in and making requests was a big deal. I would do it all the time. I remember getting so excited when my song would come on that I'd requested. And whenever I actually got to talk to the DJ, it was amazing. So I would love to hear memories and just your thoughts on radio. What was your favorite radio station? Uh, I'm telling you, it's what we all dreamed of. The much of us growing up around this industry and really falling in love with it, it was there was a little bit of a rock starism to it. If you can't be a rock star, next best thing is to hang out with rock stars. And I just missed the damn boat. And it still irritates me to this day. I still did a lot of fun things and met a lot of cool people and did a lot of things that a lot of other people didn't get to do. But man, would it have been a ride in the 1990s as a 20-something? Holy hell. Now it's just pissing me off thinking about it. All right, here is the next one I'm going to do here for you. Again, just having fun here. Where is it? I've got it all on one page here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There it is. TikTok thing. All right. So, uh, again, bear with me for a minute on this. This is a guy saying that the lyrics to Toto's Africa have been uh, printed, released uh, on the Internet, wherever you look for you know lyric sources to find out what the words to songs are, that it's been wrong forever. And this is just his opinion, but it got me thinking. Here, he'll explain it to you. This is today's TikTok thing. Have you ever been sure that literally everyone is wrong about something except you? I got one. The first line of the chorus to Africa by Toto is not, it's going to take a lot to drag me away from you. It's actually, it's going to take the lot to drag me away from you. As in, it's going to take it all. Everything I talked about in the verse, it's going to take all of it, the lot, to drag me away from you which is actually a much better line because it brings the chorus and the verse together. And everyone has this wrong. Every karaoke video, every lyric video on YouTube, every song lyric website, Lyrics Genius, even Weezer, when they covered it, very prominently sang, it's gonna take a lot to drag me away from you. I've been on a crusade about this for like 10 years, but the isolated vocal track has actually surfaced recently and I think proves what I've known all along. Check it out. Tell me I'm wrong. Okay, so, as I mentioned, this does not matter. But it got me thinking, well, what is the actual words? I looked all over online, all the same places he just mentioned, 
and could not find anything that said anything other than it's going to take a lot to drag me away from you. So I decided to pull the two versions, Toto's original and Weezer's, to see how different they sound right at that part. It's going to take the lot or it's going to take a lot. I got four quick hits for you here real quick. This is Toto's version of that line. I mean, that sounds like it's going to take the lot. It sounds like he's right, but I'm, I might be confirmation bias here at this point. Here is Weezer's version of that same part of the song. All right, so maybe it's still confirmation bias here, but it sounds a lot like he's saying it's going to take a lot to drag me away from you. So then I've condensed it down to just that one. It's going to take the, the five, four words, whatever it is. Again, we'll start with T- uh, Toto's Africa uh, original version here. Let me make sure I got this right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Here we go. Going to take the lot, right? Going to take the lot. That's what it sounds like. All right, here's uh, the, the exact same portion of Weezer's version. Doesn't it sound like he's saying it's going to take a lot? Uh, We'll go back to uh, Toto's. All right, so it doesn't matter at all. But if we've been saying this wrong and all the karaoke machines are wrong and all the websites and YouTube channels are all wrong, it interests me. Plus, I think it's a amazing song that I think the most perfect band with the most perfect cover was the version that uh, uh, Weezer released. What is that? Almost two or three years ago now. One more time on the quick hits. All right. So I don't know if we figured this out. I don't know if we know anything more now than we didn't know 10 minutes ago, but I'm telling you, man, and woman, TikTok, it is a social media that keeps on giving. It is the content delivery system, no matter where you're getting it from, that never disappoints. Every other one of them disappoints. Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, sure as hell Facebook, all disappointing wastelands of trash and just disgusting nonsense. Twitter, or excuse me, TikTok can be that too. Not if you don't want it to be. It never stops giving what you want. Check it out, TikTok. Or don't. I don't care. Coming up next, uh, we do have a mess in Afghanistan. Whose fault it is? I don't really care about that as much as who actually cares about this. Talk about that next. Hang tight. This is the Stone On Air Podcast. Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. I'm now the fourth American president to preside over war in Afghanistan. Two Democrats and two Republicans. I will not pass this responsibility on to a fifth president. I will not mislead the American people by claiming that just a little more time in Afghanistan 
will make all the difference. Nor will I shrink from my share of responsibility for where we are today and how we must move forward from here. I am president of the United States of America, and the buck stops with me. Welcome back in. That's the president, whether you believe he's a president or not. That's his title. And uh, on a, obviously, uh, the way this went down this past couple of weeks, couple of months, clearly it has not gone well. And I am, I'm not here to spend a lot of time on why or what could have been done differently. And here's what I would have done. Let me tell you what I would have done. No, I, that, that, that's for the blowhards on social media and the stupid talking head uh, late night uh, television shows that we just dis- disguise and, and, and refer to them as news outlets, which they're just not. It's just, you know, performative on every level. But I, I don't know what should or shouldn't have happened in... Um, in Afghanistan, except for leaving, is something we have to do. We need to do. Trump wanted to do it. Uh, everybody wants to do it. The problem is, there's no good way to do it. Right? There is zero good way to do it. I don't mean to sound all Colin Cowherd on you. I don't know what that means, uh, if that means anything to you or not. But uh, imagine if you're uh, with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and uh, you know your husband, your wife, and you you want to break up and you know do this whole like a relatable story. But it, it really is. There's no good time to break up with your your girlfriend. There's none good times to end any relationships where there's benefits on either end for the other people involved. No matter what it is, as small as a a family relationship, a an intimate boy girl man woman husband wife girlfriend boyfriend whatever what a, a, a business engagement. With somebody, to end those relationships, there's no good time. Oh, you could have picked a better time? No, I couldn't have. There's not a better time. There's no such thing as a good time to do this. And that's what this has fallen into. Um, I, I'm not going to sit over here and act like that this, you know, first eight months here uh, of the year and, and, and this administration and presidency and is going well i i'm not going to to, to, to say that because it's it's clearly not um but i don't think anything's been technically quote unquote going well for quite some time unless it just depends on who you ask and what the subject matter is and now so we went from um whatever the topic of the of the trump years of just chaos the experts that come out on social media on whatever that day-to-day topic was then to everybody now is an infectious disease expert on social media. My God, Facebook. I mean, it's it's almost vomit-inducing. It is nauseous to spend much time on Facebook. I am so, the, I mean, that weight on my shoulders is just gone from using social media like I used to. My goodness, these, these yahoos, these absolute idiots. And so now we have foreign policy experts everywhere. Um, and, but I do believe if this had happened while Trump was president... The left, the Brian Williams, the Rachel, Rachel Maddows, the Lawrence O'Donnells, the Jake Tappers, the uh, whoever the hell else would be losing their shit over how terrible Trump is and how awful he does everything. You know that's the case. That's what would happen. 
could this have been done better but putting this together also with the uh the border crisis which is not new we've always had a border crisis we've always had war torn areas of the middle east could it be done better I, been done better yeah sure probably i guess i don't know i don't know i'm I, that's not my you know area of expertise or even real solid knowledge of i know just as much as anybody else does about the mess of uh, of the middle east which is not much not much so when this up and up, oh my god this is uh, this is terrible it is it's not good but when did you all of a sudden become a humanitarian? When, what about all the other war-torn areas and women's rights being uh, non-existent and murders and killings and executions and genocide? When did all of a sudden that become something that this person on social media screaming out loud has been so damn concerned about? That's where this the hashtag fake outrage comes in. I promise you in three, four months from now, there's not going to be any chitter-chatter on this. We're going to be on to the next thing. Afghanistan fights wars. They're primitive people. That's what they do. They fight wars with other nations, other terrorist organizations, within themselves, and they've been doing it quite literally for hundreds of years. And if you look back at a long, deep dive into the history of the Middle East, they've been doing it for basically thousands of years. We're not going to change that. This country, this culture, this lifestyle, our way of living will never translate there. They're not going to operate in a democracy like we try to pretend like we are, even though we're the closest thing you're going to get. This is not going to happen. It's never going to happen. It never has happened. How arrogantly foolish is it for us to think that it will happen eventually? This is a war-torn, primitive area of, of just violence and uh, chaos. That's what this is, and that's what it's always been, and that's what it's always going to be. I have a couple of clips here I'm going to play for, for you. Ron Paul, yes, the father of Rand and a super uh, superstar in the alt kind of political parties when he was more of an independent, more of a libertarian, and I don't know, was he part of the Green Party kind of thing too? I'm not even sure, but anyway, I used to be a big fan of Ron Paul. I, pre- I pretty much still am. Not a... Huge fan of his son, but that's neither here nor there. This is Ron Paul, and just as you listen to this, think about what year you might think of this. Here's the first half of of uh, Ron Paul in the, uh, I believe, is in the House chambers doing some kind of uh, whatever the hell they do in Washington. The question we're facing today is: Should we leave Afghanistan? I I think the answer is very clear, and it's not complicated. And of course, we should as soon as we can. This suggests that we can leave by the end of the year. If we don't, we'll be there for another decade, would be my prediction. The American people are now with us. A group of us here in the Congress, bipartisan group, for nearly a decade have been talking about this, arguing not to expand the war, not to be over there, not to be a nation building, and the American people didn't pay much attention. Now they are. The large majority of the American people now say it's time to get out of Afghanistan. It's a fruitless venture. Too much has been lost. The chance of winning, since we don't even know what we're going to win, doesn't exist. So they are tired of it. Financially, there's a good reason to come home as as well. I could have told you that that was 10 days ago or 10 years ago. And it was indeed 10 years ago in 2011. Ron Paul said, if we don't get out, now, get out now, I predict, and I'm paraphrasing from what you just heard, predict this goes on another decade. 
well, ding, 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 you win. Again, just like the war in Afghanistan, what do you win when you actually win? Well, nothing other than I told you so. Uh, another clip here from the continuation of uh, that joint meeting of Congress or again, whatever the hell it was from Ron Paul. Some argue we have to be there because if we leave under these circumstances, we'll lose face. It will look embarrassing to leave. So how many more men and women have to die? How many more dollars have to be spent to save face? That is one of the worst arguments possible. We're not there under legal conditions. This is a war. Who says it isn't a war? Everybody talks about the Afghan war. But al-Qaeda is not there anymore. So we're fighting the Taliban. The Taliban used to be our allies at one time when the Soviets were there. Taliban wants, their main goal is to keep foreign occupationers out. They want foreigners out of their country. They're not al-Qaeda. Yet most Americans, maybe less so now, but the arguments here on the floor is we've got to go after al-Qaeda. This is not a war against al-Qaeda. If anything, it gives the incentive for al-Qaeda to grow in numbers rather than dealing with them. Oh, my God. It's like, well, somebody listen. Is, is this microphone on? That could have been 10 seconds ago. That could have been 10 days ago. Or that could have been, which it actually was, 10 years ago. So basically just outside of around, I'll just make up a number here, 04, 05-ish, just about everything since then, that is what everybody basically has thought. Now, we don't really care. That's why we don't ever really hardly ever talk about it. So when the up and outrage is just exploding on social media and on all the talking head shows, I want to kind of dial it back. Listen, dude, you barely cared before. And you're not going to care much later anyway. You're just wanting to be loud and smash pots and pans together. This is Afghanistan. This is what they do. They're primitive people. All they know is how to kill and torture and uh, treat treat their citizens and their and the and the people below them underneath whatever their hierarchy even is like shit. That's what they do. That's what they've always done. And how much do we actually care? I'll answer the question for you right here. Hand in the air. I don't give a shit. I don't care. You want to kill yourselves? You want to kill all the... I mean, I can't sit around and, 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 and get lost over every atrocity across the globe. I can't do it. And we've been there for 20 years. We've done everything that there we feel like we could have done. It's a lose-lose. This is Vietnam all over again. This is Vietnam times four. This is, this is a failure of American policy for 20 years. It's not a failure of American policy over 20 days or 20 minutes. It's 20 years. It's more like 30 years. Clinton slept on this one. Osama bin Laden set the bomb at the Trade Center in 1990, freaking three. Afghanistan and so many of those war-torn areas of the Middle East are going to hoot and holler and be a bunch of hyenas and they're primitive as hell, and they're going to kill and 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 be chaotic. That's what they do. The hell do I give a shit about that? Because I, I don't, and you don't really either. And now that energy resources are not being so reliant on just Saudi Arabia and those areas of that of the world, so what if they want to just kill each other? I know it makes us look bad. What we just now look bad. You think we just now look bad? 
Afghanistan people, Taliban, Al Qaeda, whoever it is, they have no interest in doing anything like we do it here in America or any civilized place in the in the world. They don't, and they're not going to change. And it's clear that whoever we we propped up and put in power and the quote unquote democracy they were given and the free elections, it was all it was all optical. It wasn't real. Without us there, because we're the most powerful in the world, we're the smartest, the most powerful, we solve problems, we create problems, but we solve problems as well. Without us, they got nothing. And we were foolish to think that they, that they could. And Biden looks dumb saying you know, that they thought that they could handle it in them, themselves. They can't handle it themselves. And when we're in, a, in an era of, of terrorist, terrorism moving to, to cyber terrorism being the real thing that matters, and flying planes into, into buildings and setting bombs at the foot of the Trade Center, man, that's, that's, that's amateur hour stuff. That's hack stuff. That's not happening anymore. Uh, uh, plots like that, maniacal plots that were, took third, 25 years to get in motion for 2001, that's done. That's a thing of the past. If these hyenas running around hooting and hollering in the back of 1992 Ford Rangers and Chevy S10s with their AK40 whatever the hell they are hanging around their back, ooh, ooh, ooh ha, 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 la, 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 fine, do you, do you terrorize the people around you? Let's just not have our people over there in harm's way. I'm totally for getting this this shit out of here, and there is no good time to do it. There's no good time to do it. Maybe I'm just being my typical selfish self when I say I don't care, but I think that's the prominent feeling amongst most dumb assholes walking around. They don't really care. I mean, today they got to have a reason to get pissed off on Facebook, but those are just pathetic life hack losers anyway. So I pulled a timeline of, of Afghanistan, and it goes back. I mean, they've been around. We've been around 200 years, 250 years. Afghanistan's been a country or occupied or some part of Soviets or whatever. I can't pretend like I know a world history you know, incredibly over here. But they've been around for a long time, a hell of a lot longer than our punk asses have. And they don't give a damn about what we want or what we think or our life. They don't want it. They're going to reject it forever and ever and ever. Now, when they know they might die because we have our our muscles, you know, uh, flexed in their country, it's just as Ron Paul just said, that's all the Taliban wants. The most thing they want, they want plenty of things, but the main thing they want is us out. They do not want foreign occupancy, Jesus, um, on their land. They just don't want it. Get the hell out of here. And that's what we did. And the pictures look awful. But again, find find all the, the, the war-torn third world areas where people are being treated terribly and dying and, and of hunger and, and disease. It's all over. Start caring about all that before I'm going to really listen to your screaming about how much you care about the Afghan people. So real quick as I wrap up this segment and uh, get light and stupid on the way out. So I pulled up like these timelines of Afghanistan. And sure enough, they've, they have been in war for 121 years minimum. Because that's where I stop is at 1901. And I just did a few highlights. The third Anglo-Afghan war against the British, 1919. 1965, the Marxist, people, the Marxist People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan held its first Congress. In 78, 1978, a rebellion against the new African government, Afghan, Afghan, excuse me, government began with an uprising of blah, blah, blah. In 79, that's when the Soviet-Afghan war starts. It goes until 1989. 
Uh, I don't have this in front of me now, but this this is when Osama bin Laden is a young man and he's starting to learn uh, lots of things about world uh, interactions and where he starts to create his terrorist networks. That goes until 1999 in February. Then the Civil War of Afghanistan from 1989 to 1992. Taliban attacks and looting of the National Museum of Afghanistan result in a loss of 70% of 100,000 artifacts of Afghan culture and history. That's in 1992 during that Civil War. Civil War goes, uh, the, 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 the forces of the Islamic State retreated to northern Afghanistan at the middle of the, uh, of the war. And then it goes on and on and starts, then it gets to the end of 98 or the 90s and then into 2001 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. And I don't need to give you a rundown of all of that. If Afghanistan, Taliban, Al-Qaeda want to sit around and shoot themselves up all day long and kill each other, I just can't act like I care about that. And cyber warfare is where terrorism lives and breathes and is going to hit us and take us out next. And these numbnuts in uh, the Middle East you know, again, in their 1991 Subarus are not going to be able to attack us to where it matters like they used to. That's what the Soviet Union or Russia, I should say. That's what Vladimir Putin is doing. That's what China is doing. These people have some of the most technologically advanced areas of the world, and they are going to destroy this country with some kind of cyber warfare. It ain't going to be some dude with a towel on his head in Afghanistan. I can assure you of that. Is it atrocious? Is it sad? Are people who are uh, uh, just collateral damage going to be falling left and right? Some might be American people. Yeah, probably, maybe. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I really care because I don't really. And the chances are, deep down, you don't really either. Coming up next, my cousin came to town. She's a superstar. I love her to death, and I'll tell you about that next. years on a, an ABC show called Ugly Betty, um, and prior to that, wrote for three years on a, on a show called Gilmore Girls, and um, I'm just trying to hit the ones people have actually heard of called Mad About You for a while, yeah. and then, and then you know, interspersed in there, a whole lot of shows that, uh, you know, no one would remember, including most people who worked on them, very, very short <laughs> shows, but th- th- those are the highlights, and in fact, Ugly Betty is the first like new show that I ever worked on from from the day that it started that was still around by Christmas time. I mean, usually really? shows you know come and go and you don't even remember them. So I I got really lucky this time. I remember when this song came out, maybe 1991 or 92. I was actually in Southern California and I purchased this cassette tape. Human Touch, I think, is the name of the album. It was a double album from Bruce Springsteen. 57 channels and nothing's on. And at the time, I remember thinking, holy shit, who's got 57 channels? That's insane. And this was on MTV, so of course I liked it. 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. It was really my first introduction to uh, Bruce Springsteen. Meaning on a contemporary level, I'm sure I heard it born in the USA and some of those dumb songs he has from the 70s. Yes, I said it dumb. I don't like Bruce Springsteen, but I do like that song. 
Thank you for hanging out this long into the show. I'll wrap things up here pretty shortly. So um, that on the front end of the rejoin was my cousin. Sheila Lawrence is her name, and she has been working in Hollywood, um, Los Angeles, somewhat proper, uh, for about 25 years. And I remember when we were young, me, me and my brothers and sister, um, and my so it's my dad's brother's daughter, and it was his closest brother growing up. So even though they're out in California all the time, I still had a lot of connection with uh, old Uncle Bruce and Aunt Janet. And we were, they used to work together in the early 80s. And I was born in Southern California. Not a lot of people know that, but I, we moved to North Georgia in 1986. So for all intents and purposes, I'm a Southern born and bred, even though the first six years was in, um, in SoCal. And I, I don't remember it. Uh, I, I don't believe anybody can remember anything before you're eight. I don't know if there's probably some uh, some outliers out there somewhere, but I don't believe anybody remembers when they're five or six years old. I think they remember seeing pictures of themselves at four and five and six years old and the stories and memories that were created being told to you as you grew up makes you think you remember being seven, six, five years old when you don't actually remember that anyway. So point being is uh, I've been for many years we would go to Chicago for family reunions, not quite family reunions, but just much of the family would come be around each other. And Sheila is, uh, she doesn't listen. So I'm sorry if you did happen to listen to this go around Sheila. I'm, I don't want to uh, date it too much, but I, I would say she's close to her mid fifties. She looks incredible for, for a mid fifties. I can tell you that she's, she's at least 10 years older than me and I'm 41. And I think she's more than 10 years older than me. Anyway, so I got sidetracked a little bit, but so when she was writing shows for uh, Mad About You in the in the 90s, just was the most main one anybody had heard of, and my dad would record the shows when she got the writing credits, and we would uh, pu- put it in the VCR and pause it when her name would come down on the credits, and they, hey, there's Sheila Lawrence, yay, and so I'd never had spent a lot of time with her growing up all these years, being on the other side of the country, she might as well be in, in, in a completely another world, Kept up with in our adult lives, we've kept up with each other a little bit. And um, I went to Southern California in 06, and she was too busy, couldn't meet up. And then we met up in Nashville about 10 years ago. Talked to her on the phone. That was her on the uh, on the air with me at Talk Radio about 13 or 14 years ago. Text, emails, like so. We've we've kept in pretty good touch because she's a person to you want to know. <laughs> so it started with, uh, I think she interned for like. Leno or Conan or something like that in the early 90s. Maybe Letter, uh, Letterman, I, I don't know who it was. And then she got a gig with Mad About You, with Paul, what's that guy's name, Riser, and Helen Hunt. That was such a huge show for a while. And then her, the big hit was the Gilmore Girls, early 2000s. You know, I was too old for that. That coming of age stuff, I was, you know, I was in my 20s, going on mid-20s by the time that thing was a super smash. I didn't watch any Gilmores until the last couple of years when, I've been around people who watch it on reruns. And uh, then Ugly Betty was a pretty well-known show on ABC. And then the latest that she's not working for now, a lot of budget cuts in uh, all the world, obviously, but also in, in, in Hollywood for, I would forget how to say this, the marvelous Mrs. Macell, Macell, Macell. It is, what is it, Netflix or what the hell is it? Anyway, wherever the hell it is. Uh, just a couple of years ago, it won several Emmys, and she got herself, for a writing credit, uh, an Emmy, and was on stage with, like, Kevin Pollack, which you know who he is as soon as you see him, and other stars from the show. It To me, she's just as rock star as it gets. 
And her husband's family is from Franklin, just outside of Nashville. And so they come to Nashville every now and again, but she's never come to Chattanooga. I wouldn't want to do that either if I was her. And I've gone up there to see them before. Her husband wrote for Criminal Minds for many, many years. That uh, Was that a CBS show? I can't remember, but it was a very successful show. And so these are very interesting people to me. And I get catch wind that you know they're leaving town to go back to Southern California on a, on Monday, but she doesn't have anything going on on a Sunday. Maybe they'll come drive down and we can go go to lunch or hang out or do something. And I thought, well, first of all, I can't believe you would actually want to do that since you're doing so much traveling as it is. Maybe just wanted a break from being around family members, you know, that they're used to. And who knows why she did it? I'm just glad that she did. And her and her two young boys, one is 13 and the other is maybe nine or 10, something like that, came down and met me and my dad and my stepmother and um, two or three, four of my, uh, three of my nephews and nieces. And we went to the Chattanooga market and got a table and hung out and chit chatted for a while. Man, it was fun. It was a lot, a lot of fun. And I was just really happy to be able to play a little catch up. And um, it was great. But the reason for bringing this up is. And sorry, I'm sorry, but sometimes I just have to do, I just crack myself up sometimes. We're sitting at the table. Sheila is her name. She is a, I mean, she makes me look like I'm a bumpkin redneck, you know, right-leaning libertarian or something. Like, she is a liberal. She's grown up her whole life right there in Hollywood. I mean, that's just, you're kind of a product of your of your of your environment. Um Sometimes it's that's not always the case, but oftentimes it is. And I I, I enjoy that. I'm, I'm fine with that. I can I can hang out with anybody uh, as long as you're civil and cool and chill, no matter what your political ideology is. But she is super liberal. And so I'm sitting there talking to her, and I look up, and look who comes walking my way. Or just towards our general direction. We're on the back row. Like, if you're at the Chattanooga Market where the, the music is playing, just kind of consider where that back line of tables are. We were on that back line. So there was no one to our right and to our left and facing forward was looking towards the stage. And I said, look over there, Sheila. Look at that guy. You see that really short dude over there? Because he's the shortest guy in the building. You know, he doesn't have a tie on, but he's got his uh, shirt and slacks. Like, that's our United States congressional representative for East Tennessee. And she's like, really? You mean like in the legislature? I was like, no, the House of Representatives. And she's like, really? It's like, yeah, he lives here in town, so it's not surprising to see him here. And Congress is not in session right now, so this is not a surprise. But this is just funny. Um, because we were talking a little politics, just me and her, nobody else were involved and weren't trying to be loud and, and, and piss anybody off. So I'm just thinking as he walks towards our direction, he's just looking around, he's scanning, he's looking for anybody to come run up to him so he can hobnob and be his stupid ass political self that somebody, his you know campaign advisor tells him, go down there and pet dogs and shake your hands and do all this stupid stuff. And so he starts walking towards us. And I kind of make eye contact with him. Didn't really mean to, but I did. And we, we, we locked in. He saw me, I saw him. I've been in the same room as Chuck Fleischman countless times, but he doesn't know who the hell I am. But he is just looking for somebody who recognizes him. That's what he's there for. He just got there. He's walking towards us, and here's what I said. But before I tell you what I said, to give it a little bit more context, remember the movie, uh, not Happy Gilmore, but Billy Madison, when Billy is, Adam Sandler is in his tent in the backyard of his rich father 
It's like a circus tent where he parties all the time. And he's got to take this test to prove he's not an idiot so he can inherit the, the fortune. And then there's a bad guy that's trying to stop him as a, one of the, I don't know what you'd call him, butlers of the house or something. And then there's a good guy who's trying to help Billy. And the guy who's trying to help Billy, his name's Carl. And he's the junkyard guy from Breaking Bad. He's been on Seinfeld. He's one of those dudes you'd see and you'd be like, oh, yeah, I know that guy from like countless things. But him and the teacher, Miss Veronica Vaughn, um, are, are doing a tutoring session. And it's starting to get a little flirty. And then it looks like, okay, you know, in, in a cinematography kind of way, oh, they're getting closer. They're about to embrace. They're going to kiss. And, you know, who knows where this goes from here. And then Carl walks in and ruins it. And Billy's been trying to make this happen for a long time. And here is Adam Sandler's line as Billy Madison when Carl interrupts his, uh, his almost embrace and kiss with Veronica Vaughn. Hey, Carl, good to see you. All right, so I went a long way to, to get to that one tiny little one and a, sec- one and a half second uh, clip. Hey, Carl. Good to see you. Okay, so one more time. Hey, <laughs> Carl, good to see you. So just to get that out of the way, so as Chuck Fleischman is walking by, I've just explained to Sheila who he is, and he, we lock eyes, and I said, Hey, Chuck Fleischman, good to see you. I did exactly that. And he said, he kind of gave a little half wave, and I said, Keep up the incredible work, dude. And he realized quickly that I was being um, completely facetious and borderline uh, disrespectful. And uh, he didn't stop to shake my hand. He just kept on walking. And I was like, I'm pretty proud of myself on that one. I thought that was pretty good. Sheila got a kick out of it as well. Hey, Carl, good to see you. Keep up the incredible work there, Chucky boy. (laughs) <laughs> That's all I got for you today. It was blistering hot that day, uh, obviously with the young boys and, uh, and and Sheila coming from Southern California. They're used to paradise weather every day, so we did it for about two and a half hours. They got back in the car, drove back to Nashville for the afternoon. We're flown back out to Southern California by Monday. It was a treat, a delight, and I was happy to be able to make that happen and that she also was able to make that happen. That's all I got. Love you to death. Take care. I'll see you at the Riverfront for Riverfront Nights and the Allman Brothers cover uh, End of the Line on Saturday. If you see me, come say hello. And uh, that's it. See you later. Bye. Hey, Carl. Good to see you. There was 57 channels and nothing on 57 channels and nothing on 57 channels and nothing on Well now, home entertainment was my baby's wish, so I...